Hello, everyone. It's so good to be back with you again this week. And I pray that you've had an encouraging week. And we just pray as you listen to God's word now that your heart will be uplifted and encouraged. So there's a couple of verses in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 to 13, that I'd like to read to you. And they say, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that's what the Lord encourages us to do. Seek him with all our heart. And we thank you that he, we thank the Lord that he has a hope and a future for us. And we don't need to be afraid. We just trust him, walk every day with him. And I pray that if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your saviour, that today you will trust him. So let me pray. Lord, we do thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you for every person that is represented here today, young or old, Lord, family or friends. Lord, we thank you so much for each one. We just pray, Lord, that you will encourage each one, Lord, as we read around your word. We thank you for your daily provision, Lord. We thank you for the way that you look after us, Lord. We thank you for your word that brings life to our souls. The promises in your word that like we have just read Lord we can hold on to those promises we thank you that you're with us you will never leave us nor forsake us so Lord we now pray for young and old Lord for strength for our mental emotional physical and spiritual well-being we place into your care we thank you Lord that you love us and you know all about us so Lord teach us to number our days so we can serve you Lord we focus our hearts toward you and Lord, help us to always put you in front of everything that we do. And Lord, that everything we do and everything we say will bring glory and honour to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. And please say hi and where you're from. And we'd love just each one to encourage each other. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be with you again. And... Uh... We're continuing on with our little series in the book of James, and we're looking today at uh, James chapter 1, verses 12, going through verse 18 or thereabouts, and then we're going to be looking at the whole thought of dealing with our temptations, considering that we all are tempted, we struggle in that, but we've got a great Savior who leads us, a Spirit who lives inside us, the Holy Spirit who wants to um, show sin in our lives and walk us away from that. So that's what we're going to think of. So here in verse 12 of our text, uh, James opens this part of our text by saying these words, blessed is the man, blessed is the believer, the follower of Jesus, who is steadfast under trial, suggesting that we will experience these trials. <clears throat> For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Well, hold that thought, that's important, the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now to be blessed means simply to experience and enjoy um, genuine happiness. So as, as a believer, we're genuinely happy that we, we're in Christ. We're following him. We belong to him. And these are encouraging truths. As we look at the whole of the Old Testament, which these believers were looking at, uh, the word blessed is often used, and it signifies the thought of being happy many times over. Sort of like being happy, 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 really, really happy. So as believers, that's who we should be in Christ. Uh, the psalmist writes in 65 verse 4, for example, blessed is the man that you, you choose. Blessed is the person God has chosen. 
And the emphasis here is that this person, this believer chosen by God, will be extremely happy because God has chosen him. You and I, if we know Christ, we've been chosen by God in Christ, and we're, we're secure in that. So we rejoice immensely. It's not that we can do it, but that God through Christ has done it all. He'll not leave us, uh, uh, we're not going to live as some sort of uh, dar, sar-faced, depressed follower of God. Instead, we're going to be alive, vibrant, joyous followers of Jesus. We're going to be committed in that way, saying we belong to God. This is the most exciting aspect of life. <clears throat> In Psalm 94, verse 12, we, 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 the psalmist writes these words to us. Blessed is the man, the thought of God, whom you instruct, O Lord. So he's, he's seeking for the instruction, the direction from the Lord. The instruction of God, God will cause you to, to live a wise and prosperous life for, for God. You're going to be committed to his ways, following him. So there's no need of a, a devious prosperity gospel to creep in because those blessed by God will, will enjoy the beneficiaries of being chosen by him for the life that he's permitting us to live. So we don't need any other false gospel. We've got the true word of God here. Then in Psalm 112, verse 1, uh, we, we, we read these words. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Something that we don't hear a lot of preaching on today is the, the fear of God. It's not a popular topic. But if you want God's blessing, then I want to encourage you, fear God. Respect him in that sense. This fear is a, a reverential awe and admiration for the pure, holy character of God and our desire to be like that. It means that we will submit to the ways of God. We will submit to God's plan for our lives. Um, his chosen directive, how he wants you to live your life, how you know that you're glorifying him by living in a certain fashion, a certain way. And as you do this, you'll benefit from his, his knowledge, benefit from his wisdom, and you'll live as one of the world's truly, genuinely happy people simply because you know God. Now, I want you to ask yourself a really important question. Am I a blessed follower of God? That's a question that's really pertinent and personal. To those who persevere or those who remain steadfast in their faith in Jesus whilst undergoing these trials that are being brought upon our lives, James tells us that you will receive a crown of life. So for those people, we're going to enjoy this crown of life. We're going to receive it. Now, the receiving of this crown is not a, a reference to our being in heaven um, and, and having received our reward. Instead, James is claiming that the, the blessed and persevering through trial follower of Jesus will wear a crown of a rich, full life, live for God's glory whilst here in this earth currently. So that's who we are currently. We're experiencing these things. Uh, the crown referred to here was known as the, the Stephanos and had four obvious associations connected to it. Number one, it could be a crown made up of flowers and, uh, and worn on joyous occasions such as weddings and banquets. So you would say that's a really happy time. We're celebrating something. Number two, it could represent royalty. And so it would be worn by the kings of that time, suggesting look, they're, they're the leaders, they're the authorities, they're the royal. Number three, it could be the winner's laurel, worn as a crown for winning the, the games in a sporting event similar to a, perhaps like a gold medal in today's Olympic Games. And we, we, we've watched that in television. We've seen the joy expressed by those who have worked so hard and then they win this, uh, this gold medal. So the winner's laurel, the Stephanus, could be like that. And number four, it could be worn as a mark of honour, that we are being honoured publicly by God. To, to James, the believer who's walked victoriously through his trials, through the trials that come upon her life, well, that believer warrants the wearing of this crown currently. 
the believers met the challenges of life head on, and he has conquered them through his being submissive to the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside him and who uh, is the representation of God there. He says, you've submitted to me, not to the ways of the flesh. So let, let, let the rubber hit the road if you want. And let's discover how God wants to work in our lives, so enabling us today to celebrate and to enjoy the Stephanos, the crown that, that we can wear currently. You see, God is willing to permit certain things to come into our lives, things such as circumstances, people, trials, so that we can mature in our quest, in our lifestyle for Christ-likeness. So these things come into our lives and we walk through them and we express the ways of Christ as we wear this crown. And to clarify some of our thinking here, James clarifies that whenever anyone is tempted, we need to understand we're not being tempted by God himself. So in verse 13, the Greek word translated as tempted suggests our being pulled towards sin. This, uh, this word tempted is saying you're, you're being drawn towards sin. You're going into the midst of a trial. So in verse 13, we read of our being pulled towards evil. And then in verse 14, our pull toward evil desires is highlighted. And then in verse 15, our arrival at and embracing both evil and evil desires finds its completion in sin. And so if we go that way, we find ourselves in a place of sin. The um, great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this of your temptation and my, my temptation. He writes, in our members, there's a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh, takes over us. He continues, all at once a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it is a sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love, love of fame and power or greed for money. Join God, he says, is in course of being extinguished in us and we seek all our joy in the creature. We seek our joy in self in that moment of submitting to this, um, this temptation toward evil. So as we look at verse 13, it's worth noting that uh, what the verse doesn't say, perhaps. The emphasis is not if we are tempted. And there's a teaching out there today that says you're not going to be tempted. But the, the, the emphasis is not if we're, if we're tempted, but rather when we're tempted. And from this moment, of, from the very moment of our birth, at that first baby, innocent breath, we, be, we became a soldier in a lifelong battle with an enemy called temptation. You see, life is not living in a monastery. Life is living in the fast lane of reality. Life is confronting our temptations head on. We're soldiers in a battle here. I want you to listen to this. Mark Antony was known as the silver-throated orator of Rome. He was also credited with being a, a brilliant man, a strong leader, a courageous soldier. People looked to this man. But the one thing he lacked was strength of character. Now, we, we put those things in place. We say that they're the emphasis of a strong character. The author is suggesting here he was struggling in his character, in his strength of character. On the outside, he continues, he was powerful and impressive. But on the inside, he was weak and vulnerable. I think we can be like that. This so enraged his tutor that on one occasion he shouted at him, Oh, Marcus, oh, colossal child, able to conquer the world, but unable to resist the temptation. You could conquer the world but you can't resist temptation. We love to try to shift the blame from ourselves to others. And this is exactly what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. He said, the woman you, the woman God gave me, the woman you God gave me, 
She gave me to eat from the tree, and I ate Genesis 3, verse 12. You gave her to me. You, you caused all this to happen. See, we're all masters of casting the blame off from ourselves onto others and even blaming God or even blaming the devil. <clears throat> we've blamed God, we've blamed the devil, we've blamed Eve, we've blamed each other, we blame anyone and everyone but ourselves. So we can be clear from verse 13 that it is never God who tempts who tempts us. But, so let's be careful never to think that God has caused temptation to come into our lives or to trouble our lives. He continues then in verses 14 and 15, James writes these words. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. When you take that on board, what's your desire? Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown or fully matured, brings forth death. So in these two verses, we have the core of the explanation of temptation that James wishes us to understand. You and I have the capacity to be enticed. We have physical and spiritual needs, and it appears that we will go to whatever extreme to have those needs, uh, physical and spiritual, fulfilled in some way. In our physical needs, such things tempt us as perhaps making as much money as possible. And we throw all our energy into that, and by doing so, we, we set God aside. Uh, being tempted, being, being termed successful according to the society we live in, we want to be seen to be successful by them and get their approval. Enjoying good health and old age, we think if we do this and do this and do this, we'll live for as long as we can. I say tempt over those things because we have to recognize that God is in control of all circumstances in our lives, both physical and spiritual. He knows the days we have. We don't. He knows the days we have. He's given them to us so to live for him in that time. You see, what if God is glorified by having only a little bit of wealth and remaining unsuccessful in the eyes of our society and not enjoying a long, healthy life? Well, what if God's glorified by those things? After all, Jesus wasn't wealthy whilst he was here on the earth, and he certainly wasn't considered successful by the society that he lived in, nor did he enjoy a long, healthy life. So in our temptation, there's an inner desire that is a, attracted somewhere. And the Greek text uses a fishing term here, translated enticed or, or lured, if you want. See, if I put a, if I put a hook on a, a fishing line and cast it into the, into the water, the chances are I'll, I'll catch nothing. I've done that. I'm not a fisherman. So I've done that. But you catch nothing except what we used to call fisherman's clothes. But, but if I put some sort of bait onto that hook to lure, to entice the fish, I might very well be successful, even myself. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, again, tries to show us in, in word as to what it's like at that moment whenever you and I see the tempting bait on the fishing hook of life. So we're not considering ourselves to be like the fish who's going after the lure. He writes, at this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and only desire for the creature becomes real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. We're not thinking of God. We're thinking of self. The lust thus aroused and envelops the mind and will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and decision are taken from us or snatched from us. We can't think right. And so we succumb to the ways of the flesh. And that's whenever you and I take that bait. That's when sin takes place in our lives. We have just surrendered ourselves to the temptation at hand. We've just given in. 
And this is when we enjoy the feelings of sin. And, and let's be honest, let's be honest, sin is enjoyable. Sin feeds the passions of our physical beings while all our spiritual beings as followers of Jesus are being completely starved, completely squashed, completely set to the side. And the reason for this experience is that the end result of sin is death. Sin might be pleasurable, but in the very end, sin kills us dead spiritually and physically in a much slower sense. And in our text, James is focusing here on neither the spiritual death brought about by sin, nor the physical death brought about by sin. Instead, as he speaks to believers such as you and I, whom sin can't kill either physically or spiritually because we're in Christ, he suggests the impact of sin in our lives will cause us to live presently as though we were already dead, as though we haven't got the Stephanus on, as though there's nothing of importance in our lives except my emotions, my feelings, my being at this point in time. I wanted to listen as to how author and pastor Max Lucado describes this experience. He writes, guilt creeps in on cat's paws and steals whatever joy might have flickered in her eyes. <clears throat> Confidence is replaced by doubt and honesty is elbowed out by rationalization, exit peace, enter turmoil. Just as the pleasure of indulgence ceases, the hunger for relief begins. Our vision becomes short-sighted and our myopic life is now but one purpose, to find release for our guilt. Or as Paul questioned for all of us, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And we know there's only one who can rescue us. And James is pointing us to that person. He's called Christ, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Messiah. James says he's the only one who can redeem you, the only one who can save you, the only one who can set us free from all of this. So we're encouraged to walk in the ways, not of the flesh, not of sin, but in the ways of submission to the Spirit. As we submit to the Spirit, we wear the crown, the Stephanos, and we show the world we belong to Jesus. We think differently from you. We act differently from you. We live differently from you because we are a people redeemed by the blood of Christ and we live solely, completely for the joy of our Savior. And our lives are filled with joy because we give him joy and we enjoy giving him joy. So that's where James wants us to go. It's a big challenge for us. I want you to be blessed as you live like that. I want you to be blessed as you enjoy that challenge of living for God's glory in that way. In verse 16 of our text, James sends out an amazingly clear and direct warning. He says, do not be deceived, my brothers. Now that word deceived means to be to be led down a wrong pathway. James is warning the believer to be very careful that such things as, as lust don't confuse your, your thinking. 